Conference attendees in Las Vegas are accustomed to people standing on the street, aggressively trying to hand them flyers for, well, let's just say for a variety of different services. So it was a surprise and a sign of the times at the Amazon Web Services reInvent Cloud Conference this week when a person standing on the Las Vegas Strip handed me a flyer for something else entirely. Sure. Thanks. Thank you. The flyer was from a company touting what it described as the largest stockpile of GPUs, or graphics processing units, underscoring the soaring demand and the short supply of the chips that are instrumental for training artificial intelligence models. Yes, it is a new world, and of course, AI was the recurring theme inside the long-running AWS reInvent conference as well. The company's announcements included a new AI technology for work called Amazon Q. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Coming up, highlights from my conversation about AI and Amazon Q with Matt Wood, an Amazon Web Services vice president who focuses on products and technology, recorded at AWS reInvent this week. As I started recording my conversation with Amazon VP Matt Wood inside a conference room at the Venetian Hotel, I mentioned the Adobe AI tool called Enhanced Speech that I would end up using to reduce the echo in the resulting audio from the large conference room that we were in, which kicked off our conversation about AI. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, someone texted me about that. Yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah, generative AI for you guys is like... Uh... Game changer. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like the conversations in the press lounge yeah. here, everybody's just trading tips on what they're doing. And, oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And so like you're watching the keynote mm -hmm. with an eye toward, okay, this is the news that I need to report. But also this I'm, is I'm a customer. Me. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So it's actually an interesting way to start. Like what's, what have the last 12 to six months been like for you as someone who's been in this industry for so long mm -hmm. what's it been like for you i i mean honestly i think um i have not seen this level of energy and enthusiasm and excitement and engagement from customers probably since the very earliest days of aws when aws was really kicking into high gear um yeah we we were we were um you know, thrilled, <laughs> but you know, really having to work hard to keep up with customers' enthusiasm for, for building. Very, very similar this year with, with generative AI. You know, I just um, have been extremely impressed by the customers' willingness to be a kind of learning, being curious, being open-minded, educating their themselves, their builders, their senior leaders. You know, we spend a lot of time with with board members on helping them understand things. And so just going through the journey with them, you know, and we'll do many more going forwards, but yeah, it's been really interesting to watch, you know, there's kind of a kind of a spectrum of how fast most folks are moving. And on one end of the spectrum, I've spoken to some large technical technology companies that shall remain nameless, who kind of said, look, this whole area is moving too quickly for us. We're just gonna put our head in the sand, you know, come up in two years, see where, see how all the pieces kind of where they where they fall that is a strategy i grant you but not one that i would necessarily advocate for at the other end of the spectrum there are some you know very large organizations that you know over a weekend pivoted all of their thousands of developers uh, to focus on generative ai they really saw the opportunity they saw maybe a little bit of risk of, uh, of disruption uh, and they they wanted to understand as much as they could as quickly as they could and they were able to move just incredibly quickly on on, on aws not on 
peripheral pieces, you know, right at the core of their business, you know, right, you know, in regulated industries even, uh, we're able to move extremely quickly. Uh, and in the middle is where most people sit, honestly. Yeah, very deliberate, uh, high degree of urgency, you know, very deliberate set of, of learning, going through the journey of kind of going, figuring out the intuition about what this thing can do and how you can use it, where you can apply it, all those sorts of things. Everyone thinks their competitors are moving faster than them, which it usually isn't true, but like, that's where most people are. Um, uh, moving slightly faster than the average, it, it's turned out, you know, maybe unintuitively, this has been one of, one of the surprises, I think, to me over the past 12 months, are the regulated industries. You know, these, are, these are industries that you know, potentially don't have the best um, reputation for being in the vanguard of technology. Um, you know, uh, insurance, financial services, healthcare, life sciences, all these sorts of things. Um, but in an ironic twist, all of the regulations that, that they've been working through over the past 20, 30 years, you know, have been around data privacy and data governance and data standards and structure, data quality. And they're all the things you need to have in place to successfully apply your own data to generative AI. So as a result, they've already done, they've already done all of that work already made that investment and so for a very small incremental investment they can start applying that data to with generative ai you know really really quickly really really easy they know where the data is they've got it really well governed they know what it's useful they are able to you know uh, improve these models customize them integrate the models into the business you know incredibly quickly and as a result are able to move you know a little bit a little bit faster than everybody else than the average so um i think they're also an area which you know maybe you know, the, as, as the sort of digital transformation has been happening, there may be areas of in, inside those regulated industries where that transformation, the transformative wave maybe hasn't rolled in quite as far as it, as it should have done. And this is just the, the, the perfect opportunity to, to catch up, to get ahead, reinvent the customer experience, uh, drive a, a direct relationship with their customers, provide net new value to their customers, provide net new uh, products and business opportunities to their customers, drive down costs internally, like it's um, it's an incredibly exciting time. So um, that, that's been one of the more um, uh, interesting and surprising uh, revelations. Yeah, that is very surprising. Uh, but it makes sense when you put it in those yeah. terms. In those areas, or perhaps even just broadly, are there use cases that you're seeing that are the aha moment for you that show the real value in this new era of AI, whether it's generative AI or simple machine learning, you know, reaching its maturity in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that there's there's some there's kind of an emerging like a common kind of journey. I think that the the customers go down. A lot of customers start with just you know, uh, just give me a instead of starting with a blank piece of paper or a blank coding window, just give me a first draft. Like just just help me write that first draft. That first draft of the the paper or whatever it might be, and you can do that all day long. Or the app. Or the app or the code, whatever it might be. You can do that all day long. It's, it's about the high return, low risk. You, know, you, can, you learn a lot doing that. The next one is kind of your know, document management, summarization, um, you know, um, reviewing documents, finding similarities, dif differences, all those sorts of things. Um, and that's somewhere where you know, the, the, the size of the data that you can process in a single request uh, as that keeps going up, um, you, know, you can do more complicated. You can add more information and more documents and provide more robust summaries. And so with the new Claude 2.1 model that we're, we're adding to Bedrock from Anthropic, 
that it has a 200,000 token window. That's about 500 pages of text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can load multiple books in there and then reason across them and ask all, all sorts of questions and drive summaries. And if you've got customer reports or private data, uh, it, which is in natural language, um, you know, um, uh, internal research reports, marketing campaign reviews, all those sorts of things, you just draw all those in and then you know, start summarizing them and start working with them. That's another thing that the regulated industries um, have just huge amounts of natural language text. And it's funny, you talk about the, the, the sort of maturation of machine learning. I was joking with a customer yesterday, they were, they were saying that they have you know, really, really old um, data. And uh, a lot of it is structured, but they've got this notes field. And it's, it's, it's just natural language text. And we were joking that, you know, even a year ago, you would have said, oh, got all this structured data, thank goodness. But now you're like, oh, natural language text, thank goodness. Like that's that's the gold, right? <laughs> so it's it's totally changed how you think about uh, how you think about the data and where the value is that you can extract from it. They, they've got a lot of that. Uh, and then the next one is probably just just assistance, like the sort of Q style chatbot assistance, um, where you can ask questions, get answers. And then the final one is really um, whilst these models and these capabilities get a lot of press for writing poems and haikus and rap lyrics and all those sorts of things. Um, uh, they're better to be thought of as kind of reasoning and integration engines. Uh, it's like a net new software capability. The ability to be able to reason, integrate data, uh, that, is a, that is something we hadn't had available to us before. And so figuring out how to apply that is kind of on the same scale as the very, very earliest uses of something like a database. And databases came along, net new software component. And you're like, okay, well, before we had to use these do raw reads and writes against the objects on disk and all these sorts of things. It was a nightmare. I couldn't run queries. It was slow. And then first databases came along and then it totally changed what you could do with your, with your app. And now every app on all of your devices here will run on some database you know, somewhere. And so every single app now has that built in. It took 25 years to get there. But um, I think we'll see that same thing happening with this reasoning capability, that that reasoning capability, whether you are interacting it directly with your know, chat assistants or it's providing and reimagining big areas of the app, just like the database allowed us to do bigger apps and launch Amazon.com and run Airbnb and Netflix and all these sorts of things, you will see more and more reinvention using the reasoning capability that is net new to us. Next up, Amazon Q. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Amazon Q is an assistant for work, as Adam Slipsky said during the keynote. So this is something that's initially across a number of AWS services, QuickSight, Amazon Connect, supply chain. There's the Amazon business functionality. How would you describe Q to somebody who's never heard it? Or heard about it before? Yeah, it's uh, so Amazon Q is a new type of um, assistant designed to be an expert in your business, and so Q can connect to all of your existing data sources. Um, so if you've got information in 
Microsoft 365 or Google Workspaces or Salesforce or Jira or Zendesk or whatever it might be, um, Q will look at all of that information and create a, just the broadest, deepest possible view of, the, of your entire business end to end. And then you can interact with that information and interact with Q as an expert in lots of different places. So you can interact with Q when you are writing code, for example. So Q is available right inside your development environment. And you can use all of that context because it knows about your source code and what you're trying to do, plus the code that you're actually working on to be able to you know, write code more quickly, write unit tests, to be able to um, migrate code between different versions of, of the, the runtime. Uh, you can do feature development much more quickly. So all of those things just dramatically increase the speed and efficiency with which you can you can build new software. Same thing inside the AWS management console. You can ask questions about AWS and we'll provide troubleshooting with connectivity resolution and all those sorts of things. That, you know, instance choice, all those sorts of things that customers often ask. And then we have a Q app and you can interact with your 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 expert assistant through the Q app. So there you don't I don't even need to know how to spell AWS. You just go onto the the the, the Q app. sits inside your 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 internet on your virtual private network. It's private, secure. Um, we don't use any of the data that flows through it to improve the underlying models. We don't have humans reviewing any of that information. Nothing like that. And then you can just uh, have a conversation back and forth with Q, and you can ask it to write emails or create content. You can have it run simple tasks. It's got a set of plugins. You can interact with with Jira and with Slack and you know all these these other things, so it, you can you can ask questions, get answers, and then actually take action on those answers going forwards. And then similarly, you can interact with Q in with business intelligence systems. We have something called QuickSight, so you can ask questions about your data and build dashboards and write stories about the insights that you find. Um, contact centers, you know, Q is available to agents, um, providing real-time proactive guidance based on the conversation that the agent is having. So the Q is listening in on the call optionally and will provide proactive guidance so you don't even have to chat and type as you're, as you're talking to a customer as an agent. We do call summarization for to-do lists and follow-up items or coaching opportunities for supervisors. Um, and then we, you know, next year we'll have new supply chain uh, insights as well going forward. So there are lots of different lenses that specialists, engineers, and line of business users and experts in their own areas can 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 ask and interact with Q to get uh, get their work done more quickly, more efficiently, uh, and without any loss of security or privacy. So I can tell you from the cocktail parties I've been to here at reInvent and just talking with attendees and startup people in particular, this has been the buzz of the show. Q has it's been and. There's been a wide range of reactions that I've heard. So I'd love to tell you what I've been hearing. Yeah, and I'd love to hear. Okay. Yeah. So on the positive side, people are really impressed that you stood up there and you showed this really cool diagram with all of the, or some of the more than 40 services that are up there. So including, as you just noted, Microsoft 365 and Google Workspaces. Are you doing that from an API? Because it's a selling point, clearly. Are you doing that in partnership with them? I can't imagine that it's... You know, you told them, hey, we've got this thing called <laughs> Q coming, help us out. That's, that's not how the cloud industry oh, is working funny. right now. It's funny. I mean, look, we, 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 we have good relationships with a, with a lot of folks that we compete with in other areas. So yes. you know, we, we, we sell a lot of Windows licenses yes. on, on EC2 as an example. And, and workspaces. And we're through workspaces. And yeah, we have, so we have, we have really good working relationships with them. The integration as it's done under the hood is, is done through APIs. But yeah, um, yeah it's, that, that is not because we're, 
we have some, you know, any animosity towards these things. Right. It was just there and you were able to do it that yeah, way. That's right. Yeah. The ability to plug into all of those different services yeah. drove home the value. That's right. And the, the key to getting that right was, number one, getting, getting the actual information and the data. The next part was understanding it. So what generative AI is really good at doing isn't just, it's not search. This is not your, it's not your grandfather's search engine, right? It's, uh, it's not just retrieving keywords. It's not just retrieving relevant articles. It's using the semantic information of the questions that you're asking in order to be able to better understand your question and your intent, in order to be able to better understand the responses that are available across your business, and then piece that together in creative ways to give you the best possible, most actionable, most helpful responses. And so, you know, the, the most naive approach is to take your question and give it to the large language model and then get the large language model's predictive output and you send it back to the user. This is not how Q works. <laughs> so what we do is we take the input prompt and then we use that just as a starting point and we create all sorts of additional prompts using generative AI under the hood, which reflect the original intent of that question. And then we fire those off across all the semantic um, fields and areas of interest that we've gathered through the data. Mm. And we use that semantic information to get back a relevant set of information. And we use that as, a start, as the starting point of creating a response. And that's the response that we send back to the user. Oh. That's super important for a couple of reasons. One, we can enforce fine-grained access controls on the data. And so if I don't have access to the information outside of Q, I can't get access to it inside Q either. And so in addition to incorporating all of that data, we also incorporate all of the roles, permissions, and policies around the usage of that data. Mm -hmm. And so this is not a, this is not like a big, we're not adding this into some big magical model, which suddenly everything becomes available to everybody. You still, we adhere to everything, all of your existing governance requirements. Oh, and the other one is uh, we can filter the responses. And so uh, you can, as an administrator of Q, you can say, I never want you to run a query which includes these keywords. Or I never want you to return a response which includes these keywords. Or just give us the examples of the type of topics you either do want to respond to or you do not want to respond to. And so you can put guardrails around the type of information that Q will respond to. And so we found that, that was a re both of these were really important characteristics and requirements that customers had for introducing generative AI assistance inside their organization. Most actually do not want a very broad chatbot which has a broad set of knowledge. They usually want to scope it down to something which is much more manageable and much more work-focused. Um, and part of that is restricting all the general pieces that you don't want it to respond to. And the other part is like shoring that up with all of your, uh, all the knowledge and context from your, from your organization whilst adhering to the access controls. The main pushback that I've heard about it has been more of a shoulder shrug Oh, you know, Amazon had to do this. This is this is their response to Microsoft 365 Copilot. Wait, is it more like Copilot or is it more like Chat GPT Enterprise? Either way, Amazon had to do this. It's table stakes. That's a perfectly fine response. <laughs> if people are like, yes, this seems really obvious. It's like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I don't think the way that we've delivered it is obvious. I think it's differentiated in how we've approached it, but that it's um, that it is that it that it is obvious is like I think that's totally fine. The flagship use case, initially at least, seems like that AWS approach where you're interacting in natural language in the console with these AWS services, which, I mean, to your credit, you've released a lot of services over the years and it can be confusing on like, what's the best one to use for this or that? And 
cue ends up being almost like a virtual guide mm -hmm. to not only understanding but implementing AWS services. Yeah, that's what for sure. I mean, we've we have 17 years of experience in operating AWS, and we obviously know about all of the different you know, services very deeply and intimately. And so, yeah, Q has all of that knowledge baked into it. It's an expert on the services, and it's an expert on the how you architect them and our well-architected guidance and how we take a, you know, how we recommend to customers. And so, you know, from a cold start, you can get, as you said, you can get a, advice on, you know, depending on what your use case is, you can get advice on which services to use, how to combine them together, what the best practices are. And in addition to that, we have, you know, troubleshooting support as well. So if you run into... If you run into an error, you can let's say you're working with Lambda and you, know, you get an error when you run your Lambda function, you get a little button that says troubleshoot with Amazon Q, click that button, and we take a look at the error message, we understand what the error message means, and we do root cause identification of what that why we're seeing that error message, and we give you a friendly, uh, friendly advice on how to go resolve the error message going forwards. And so it's just a total game changer in how uh, the in the accessibility of AWS, you can kind of you know, I kind of think of what we provide. We've got over 300 services on AWS right now. And builders really like that choice. They like that they can have an idea in the shower, in the morning. They can start building it out over their cup of coffee. And they can know by lunchtime whether their idea is, has any legs. And if it does, you know, in, a, in a couple of days, they can have a production deployment ready to go. And I think we're just going to cut that time down with Q, um, so that you know you'll be you'll be making your coffee and realizing that your your whether your proof of concept is going to work uh, instead of having to wait until lunchtime. And so um, uh, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. The other thing that I've heard, um, and this was Matt McElwain from Adrona Venture Group, who's followed AWS for years. Oh, Matt, yep. His theory, well informed, I think, is that because it's called Amazon Q and not AWS Q, it's not only signifying that it's important to the broader company, like you would say Amazon S3, not AWS S3, but it also signifies that it can go beyond Amazon Web Services into other parts of Amazon. That's his theory. It's an interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, the other debate, this is super serious now. Super okay. serious in the press in the press room. Okay. Star Trek or James Bond? <laughs> Which Q are we talking about here? Categorically, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> the quartermaster where you get all your gadgets. That's that's where Q that's where Q comes from. <laughs> are you biased in that regard? As a Brit, of course I am. <laughs> what other option was there? I don't I don't know what else we could have possibly called it. Dr. Matt Wood is Amazon Web Services Vice President of Product, and I spoke with him this week at the AWS reInvent conference in Las Vegas. A quick addendum here. On Friday afternoon, the newsletter platformer reported that Amazon employees are raising concerns about accuracy and privacy issues that they say have come up in the internal use and testing of Amazon Q. They say the assistant was, quote, experiencing severe hallucinations and leaking confidential data including the location of AWS data centers, internal discount programs, and unreleased features, according to documents leaked to Platformer. Amazon pushed back on this in a statement to Platformer. The company downplayed the issues and denied some of the claims, saying, quote, Amazon Q has not leaked confidential information, end quote. All of this happened after we recorded and originally produced this episode. AI is definitely heating up the rivalry between Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. 
When we come back for our final segment, we'll hear how that played out at AWS reInvent this week through some choice clips from AWS CEO Adam Solipsky during his keynote address at the event. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop from GeekWire, just back from the Amazon Web Services reInvent conference in Las Vegas, which is kind of like the Super Bowl for cloud computing and increasingly for AI. Of course, Amazon famously professes to be customer-obsessed, not competitor-focused. But listen to this compilation of clips from AWS CEO Adam Solipsky this week to see if you can tell who he's talking about. And we expect the first training of two-based instances are going to be available next year, and we're really excited to see what customers are going to do with them. Meanwhile, a lot of other cloud providers are still just talking about their own ML chips. There is not going to be one model to rule them all. And there's certainly not going to be one company providing the models that everybody uses. So you don't want a cloud provider who's beholden primarily to one model provider. You need to be trying out different models. You need to be able to switch between them rapidly, even combining them with the same use cases. And you need a real choice of model providers as you decide who's got the best technology, but also who has the dependability that you need in a business partner. I think the events of the past 10 days have made that very clear. But you won't actually use any of this in a serious way if it isn't secure and private. And when I think about it, I can't conceive of other cloud providers trying to offer to Gen AI services or customers using Gen AI applications. They're not confident in their models and that their data is secure. The answer, of course, is Microsoft and, in some cases, its partner, OpenAI. But Solipsky also poked fun at another AWS rival. Now, others would have you think that all clouds are the same, but it's just not true. I mean, imagine if you had a region supported by a single data center. Or if you thought your provider had multiple AZs in France, for example, and you were resilient, but it turned out that they're actually in the same location. I mean, one incident, like a water leak followed by a fire, could take down an entire region for days. Mon Dieu. That was a reference to a Google Cloud incident in France earlier this year. Google Cloud, for its part, put a huge recurring 90-second ad on the exterior of the Las Vegas sphere, literally overlooking the AWS conference, hoping to grab the attention of reInvent attendees. I took a video that sparked quite a discussion on social media this week, and you can find a link to that in the show notes or on the related post at geekwire.com, where you can also find all of our coverage from reInvent. Thanks for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.